with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 this morning, and our focus will be specifically on verses 5 through 7, though we're beginning a section that really goes from chapter 1 verse 5 to chapter 2 verse 2. To, today we'll be looking at the idea of walking in the light, walking in the light, and, and this whole section really has kind of three themes that run throughout of it, it's that we see that there is a holy God, that we are a sinful people, and we have a faithful Savior. So as we look to this section of Scripture, John gives us such a healthy and a wise balance to this concept that we must walk in the light, we must walk in obedience, but we do that because we are cleansed in, by, and through Christ, and, and that whole idea begins in verses 5 through 7 with the holiness of God. We're called to walk in the light because we serve a holy and glorious God. And so we'll spend about three weeks, I believe, Lord willing, in this little section here, beginning today, in verses 5 through 7, and looking at the idea of walking in the light. We see the call to walk in the light, to confess our sins, and to rest in Christ. What a glorious call it is from Scripture. So let's read these verses, um, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me as we read Holy Scripture. First John, chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. This is holy and inerrant and inspired scripture. This is the word of God breathed out and spoken to us. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts for the glory of his name and for the sanctification of our souls. You may be seated. Now let's bow together and go before the Lord's throne of grace and ask his help in this our great time of need. Our Father, you are in the heavens, and you do exactly as you please. You are the sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, 
the creator and sustainer of everything, of all creation, the creator and sustainer of this world and of life as we know it. Lord, to you and to you alone belongs all honor and glory and praise. And it's our prayer that as we come before you as your people, it's our prayer that we would be humbled before you. Lord, I pray that we would understand your greatness and your glory and your holiness and your righteousness, your compassion, your love, your grace, your wrath your indignation towards sin, your justice. Lord, may we see a glimpse of your glory today through your word. Lord, our prayer is that that great prayer of our Savior would be fulfilled, that you would sanctify us in the truth, Lord, for your word is truth. Lord, we are weak, we battle with sin and flesh and an old nature that is defeated but still clings and tries to hold so closely to us. Lord God, it's our desire that by the powerful working of your Spirit that you would draw us out of the flesh Cause us to put off sin and darkness and to walk in the light as children of the light. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are ready and eager and humbled to receive the truth. Would you plant your word in our hearts and cause it to bear fruit? Lord, may we abide in Christ and therefore abound and produce very much good fruit. Lord, it's by the working of your word through the power of your spirit that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is our goal. That is our duty. That is our prize today, to be conformed to Christ. Our great God, who's in need of nothing, we offer to you this prayer today, Lord. Sanctify us in the truth. May we be changed. May we give our lives as living and holy sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to you as our sincere and worthy act of worship. Lord, would you be pleased and glorified to work in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, for the glory of Christ and his church today. We pray all these things in Christ's name, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Amen. So again, as we look to this text, there's three primary focuses. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the faithfulness of Christ as Savior. And those three focuses are repeated throughout verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. It's almost like you have these three sections, and those three focuses 
are, are woven throughout each section, but then each section has its own individual focus as well. For example, in verses 5 through 7, our text today, we, we see this idea of God's holiness, that we announce that God is light. So verses 5 through 7 focus on the holiness of God. Verses 8 through 10, John emphasizes, as you see plainly in the text, the sinfulness of man. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then as we come to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, surely you see the focus there of the faithfulness and the goodness of our Savior Christ. That if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He satisfies the wrath of God for our sins. Dear friends, what great hope, what great joy we ought to have because of this Savior. So as we consider a holy God, a sinful people, and a faithful Savior, we begin with this focus on a holy God and the call, the outworking of that to walk in the light. John's aim is to establish the the clear fact in Scripture that as those who are in Christ, we are to walk just as our God who called us walks and is. He is holy, therefore we too must be holy. Again, consider the context. You have the Gnostics of the day who are claiming that Jesus either was not flesh or he could not have been deity, and they're just undermining the truth. They reject the authority of the word. They say that to to be spiritual, you have this extra enlightened knowledge, and all that does is reject the authority of Scripture. And so John is just laying out the basics of Christian living, that God is holy, and like the Holy One who called us, we too must be holy in our behavior and all of our conduct. And we do this because Christ has overcome and overwhelmed the power of sin. At the cross, Christ destroyed the bonds of sin. Do you understand that? That at the cross, the bond that Satan had on you, the the sin that clings so closely and holds so tightly, that sin was done away with. Its power was broken. Its hold on you was destroyed. You are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave of righteousness because you're in Christ. It's kind of a thesis statement for these verses is this. If you are cleansed by the blood of Christ, you're united with him, and you will, you must Walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Put some action to that. If you are washed by the blood of Christ, if you're cleansed by his work at the cross, you must and you will walk in the light just as he himself is in the light. In John's writing, you see a lot of compare and contrast. The two things that note John's writing, I think, more than anything are compare and contrast and if-then statements. You just see them throughout John's writing. And so we're comparing and contrasting light and darkness. 
And the only way that we walk in the light is to be purified by Christ the Savior. So let's work through this text. Verse 5. Verse 5, we see that we must be proclaiming the light. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Where does John begin? This is the message that we have heard from him. He's establishing the authority and the sufficiency of Christ and his word. That's going to be a central theme in John's letter, the authority and the sufficiency of Christ and the truth. That means as we are proclaimers of the light, we have this one focus. We have this single-mindedness that we declare the truth and we declare nothing more and nothing less. The message that we have heard, we proclaim. It's not a message of our own. We don't have freedom to soften the message. We, we don't have the authority to extend the message beyond what is written. We're not the authorities in this proclamation. God is. We're not curators of the message. We preach the whole counsel of the truth. The church has no grounds and no authority for hobby horse topics or, or preferred theological topics. There may be seasons where we want to address one issue or another issue, and there's avenues and venues in the church that, that we can do that in. But the whole of our work as God's people is to proclaim the truth. We preach Christ and Him crucified, and we preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And dear friends, we like to do that with verse-by-verse exposition because then we don't stray off into hobby horses or preferred topics. We just preach the Word that's in front of us, and then next week we pick up at the next verse and continue to march on. So John says, this is the message that we have heard to him, but it's also the message, John says, that we proclaim to you. We proclaim it. We announce it. That's the word anagelo in the Greek. It means to report up. It's a proclamation, a declaration, a telling of the full story. It's a, a report and an announcement. Some illustrations of that in Scripture. Acts 20, verse 20. Paul told the Ephesian elders there, I did not shrink from declaring to you everything that was profitable. He declared it. He announced it. He proclaimed it. In John chapter 5, Jesus healed a paralyzed man. And, and verse 15 says that the man went away and he told the Jews that Jesus had done this. He declared it. He reported in fullness what Jesus had done. So what I want you to see there, what we must take away from that, is that this is a vocal work. This, this is not something that can be done in quietness. This is not something that can be done when we say, well, they're just going to look at our life. There must be proclamation of the truth. We are heralds. We are proclaimers. We are announcers and speakers. We do this, dear friends, hear me, with utmost humility. 
Because this is God's message. It's not ours. It's not our word to, to proclaim it with any sort of pride or arrogance. So we proclaim with humility, but we proclaim this truth boldly and clearly. Matthew Henry wrote of this. He said, it was the ambition of the apostles to be found faithful and to faithfully deliver the errands and messages that they had received, what was communicated to them, they were attentive to impart. The, the early apostles, these disciples of Christ, they had but one duty, and that was to be the proclaimers of the message the Lord had delivered to them. Dear friends, that must be our work and our duty today to faithfully deliver and impart the one true word. We ought to be like the apostles. We ought to follow these apostles as they imitate Christ. So John says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. What is his message then? What has he heard from God that he is going to announce and to declare to the church? Is this very clearly, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. Do you notice the construction of that? God is light. Uh, John does this again in 1 John 4. He recorded a, a similar statement from Jesus in John chapter 4. Jesus said, God is spirit, John 4, 24. 1 John 4, 8, John tells us that God is love. So we have God is spirit, God is love, and God is light. What's missing there is that, that article, that definite article like A, or the, God is the light. No, John says, God is light. Jesus said, God is spirit. Not he is a spirit, he is spirit. That is his nature. God is love. It's who he is. It's not just something he does. It's not a pursuit of God to be light. God is light. So what does that mean? God is light. Well, I think we see the, cl the clear implication of what John is saying by the next phrase, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So he's contrasting light and the darkness of moral impurity. It's like, it's like Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, and he is the one whom no man has seen or can see. God dwells in inapproachable light because he is holy and his presence is glorious. And if a man were to walk into that presence and see the glory of God, that person would be utterly consumed. Think about that holiness and that glory from the story of Moses. When he went back on the mount to get the the Ten Commandments rewritten on those stone tablets, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse 29. It says, it came about when Moses was coming back down from the mount that Moses did not know that the skin on his face was shining because of his speaking with the Lord. So he had been in the Lord's presence, and the glory and this veiled view of God's glory that Moses saw, he came down from the mount with his face shining. 
because the glory of God was emanating and reflecting off of him. That ought to tell you about the light and the glorious presence of the Lord, and I can't help but think and wonder, when you've been with the Lord, dear friend, does your countenance show that? You know, just to draw out an application here, when you've been with the Lord, your face is not going to shine, we understand that, but is it apparent by the way that you speak, the way that you act, the countenance of your face, is it clear to those around you that you have been with the Holy One? Or do you come out of your time in the Scripture with a, with a drab look on your face, sulking, sad, angry, quick-tempered, and, and just continuing on the way things were? If that's the case, perhaps you did not visit with the Lord. So God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God's nature and His character has never been darkened by any sin or any type of impurity. Dear friend, that ought to humble you to consider. Think about the Lord, that, that there is no darkness at all in Him. You can spend all your life striving to be holy and righteous and good and just, and yet you will never complete one single righteous deed that measures up to God's perfect standard because you had a sin nature and until you go to be made new by Christ in glory, nothing that comes from you could ever merit righteousness. Yet God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Simon Kistemacher wrote of this, that God and darkness are diametrically opposed. Anyone who has fellowship with God cannot be in darkness. He is in the light and glory and truth and holiness and purity of God. That's what it means to be in the light and to walk in the light. Darkness and light do not and cannot coexist together. So what do we do? with this understanding, okay? So, so we've got this view of the holiness of God. We have this message that we must proclaim. You know, first of all, we say we must be proclaimers. That, that's very clear. But we must be proclaimers of a gospel message and of, uh, of a God who transforms. We don't go out and proclaim that God is light while we live like devils. We don't go out and proclaim a transformingly powerful and glorious gospel without living a life of transformation on our own. You can't declare a holy nature of God that you have not experienced and come to know because you walk with Him, because you know Him, because you commune with Him and have fellowship with Him. So how do we do that? Friends, the answer is plain and clear. We must know the God of the Bible. We must be in and study His words. We must know the words by which He reveals Himself and the words by which He makes Himself known to Him. But it does not just stop with knowing the facts. It must go beyond that. We must know Him. To know Him is to walk with Him. To walk with Him is to put off sin. 
Dear friend, this is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. This is what separates those who are spiritually immature, though they are in Christ, and those who are spiritually maturing because of knowing Christ. It's the application of the truth. It's that you go and study the Word, and your heart and your life is changed. Do you study the Lord only to remain captive to your sin? Or do you study Him and know Him, and then that knowledge of God transforms you? Do you battle the same lust, the same worry, the same selfishness, the same pride, the same anxiety, the same bad temper day after day after day and year after year after year? Or does the Lord give you increasing victory over sin because you're applying His Word? If you want to be able to declare that God is light, your life must show it. You can't just continue on in the status quo. It's one of the greatest dangers facing a Reformed church today is that we have all of this knowledge of the truth, and yet we don't practice it. And that starts with every single member of the church walking with the Lord and doing His Word. Not merely being hearers only, but being doers of the Word. And you say, well, I, I, I'm trying, but I don't, I don't know if I'm making progress or not. Dear friend, you ought to know the answer and the solution to that. It's not that you just put your head down and keep on, but go find a faith, faithful fellow saint, a brother or sister in the Lord, and ask them to allow the truth of God's Word to illuminate your life to them. Ask them to help you along to see where you need to repent and grow. Don't walk in darkness on your own. I'm getting ahead of myself. But be accountable to your fellow saints to apply and to know and to live out God's Word. That brings us to verse 6. We're proclaiming the light and then we're putting off darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I want to say that kind of the set and level of this text is that God is light. Okay, so if, if we don't get a glimpse of the holiness of God, it's like we can't pass go. We can't continue on because you've got to have the set and level that God is holy and just and righteous then having that, you press on and you see the call of God that we must put off darkness. Because if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, what do we do? We lie and we don't practice the truth. So you see, there's kind of three negatives, three warnings there from the Apostle John. We say that we have fellowship with the Lord and yet walk in darkness. The first warning is, do not walk in darkness. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Proverbs 4, verse 19, says that the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. It's what the wicked do. That is walking in darkness. John three nineteen. this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. 
Darkness is this thing that the world loves, and the world hates the message of putting off darkness. They hate this call to walk in the light. They don't want their deeds to be exposed, and yet saints are called as to stand and to declare this message with boldness. To put off darkness, to have fellowship with the Lord, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness. So to put off darkness and to have fellowship with the Lord can never be less than putting away evil deeds. Now, fellowship with the Lord is much more than putting away evil deeds, but it can never be less. You will never increase in fellowship with the Lord while walking in active sin. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Ephesians 4.22, he says, In reference to your former manner of life, you must lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. To put off darkness is to put off the flesh. To put off flesh is to put off deceit. That leads us to John's next negative. We say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. We lie. We are liars if we say we're in Christ, but we walk in darkness. So that's another warning. Don't be a liar. And I want to pull on that string for a second because there's this just absolutely disturbing trend in culture at large where people are just utter liars. Dishonesty is just accepted. If, if you don't like the result that the truth is going to get you, a culture would just tell you, go ahead and make something else up. Go ahead and lie and don't tell the truth. But that can't mark a follower of Christ. Because if we have fellowship with him, we don't lie. We don't break the ninth commandment that tells us not to bear false witness. Ultimately, if you do, if you claim to be in Christ, if you claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in deceit and dishonesty, you are described by one word, and that is hypocrisy. You are a hypocrite. You say you are one thing while you live something else. We talk about the church being truth-tellers. We are proclaimers of the truth and want to hold that article there. We are proclaimers of the truth, of God's truth, but dear friends, that can't be done apart from just being truthful people. So I, I, I want you to hear that exhortation. I'm, I don't know any of you that are active liars, but it's so common in our day that people will just lie about anything. Like, like it's almost, it's kind of bizarre to see how far people will go to lie when it doesn't even Matter, you know, it's like you have to tell your child there's never a time when lying or deception or dishonesty is a good or right or acceptable action or response. You have to tell your kids that often if your kids are depraved, as all kids are. But do you practice the same in your own life? Do you always tell the truth? When you think about that as parents, you know, one, one practical application of this idea of being a truth teller is, yes, we do need to shield our children. We live in difficult and evil and wicked days, and there are 
things that we need to shield our children from. But it can't ever be done at the expense of telling the truth. Sometimes the truth from a parent is, son, daughter, you're not old enough to understand that. We'll talk about it when you're older. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. But it can't be that you just go make something up and tell them something. That's a lie. Lying is sin. Do not be a liar. Put off that darkness. To put off darkness is to put off every form of lying and deceit. First Peter 2. Peter talks about those who have tasted the kindness of the Lord and who long for his word. And he says we must put aside all malice. Listen to this. All malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. Deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. Those are all forms of dishonesty. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord and you want to walk in his word, you must put away deceit. And then John offers kind of a clarifying, helpful statement at the end of verse 6. If we have fellowship with him, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. It's about the practice. It's about the overall course of your life, dear friend. We all must understand that we will sin. We will miss the mark. We will fall short of the ultimate standard of the righteousness of Christ. But we also have to see that the practice of sinners and those who are deceived is to live in darkness. And that must not be your practice as a saint of Christ. John 3, 21, Jesus said, He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. You practice the truth, you come to the light so that your practice of the truth will be revealed as having come from the Lord. So do you live in the light openly accountable to others because you're a practicer of the truth? Or, dear friend, do you live, do you stay in, in the shadows and in darkness because your ways need to be deceptive, because you're not practicing and doing what is right? Are you a secretive person because if you revealed your true self, you would be held accountable for your sin? Do you live according to the grace and the word of God and walk in the truth and live in the light? We must be proclaimers of the light. I think you could add we must be practicers of light. We must put off darkness. This all summarizes at verse 7 with the idea that we are purified by Christ. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us all sin, from all sin. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that's like John's version of Peter's statement in 1 Peter 1, 15, where Peter said, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. So again, as John gives this if statement, it's almost as though he's saying, you know, this is not a given for those who claim to be in Christ. You may claim to be in Christ, but you don't walk in the light as he is in the light. But what that reveals is that you're not actually in Christ. Because those in Christ walk in the light and put off darkness. All who belong to Christ will walk in the light. 
all who belong to him will love him and keep his commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and they will not be a burden to you. If you've been washed in the lamb's blood that was poured out at the cross of Calvary, if you come to him in faith and repentance for the cleansing and forgiveness of your sins, your desire will be to honor that sacrifice and be separated from sin. That's what it means to walk in the light. So live your life in the open before all men, pursuing the glory of God in all things. To walk in light, I'll say that again. To walk in the light is to live your life in the open before all men, pursuing the glory of God in all things. To live in the light is the opposite of hypocrisy and deceit. So what results from living in the light? There's two things that John notes. We walk in the light as he himself is in the light. First thing, we have fellowship with one another. Now, I want you to see and understand what John says. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship. Holy living produces Christian fellowship. Now, I don't think it's wrong to flip that statement around and let Christian fellowship, Christian brotherhood, help you in the pursuit of holiness. But understand what John says. If you walk in the light, you have fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Fellowship is that Greek word koinonia. means participation. It's that idea of having a, a share in or a communion with or a community with something. You have fellowship with fellow saints because you're serving the same master. Because you're walking in the same direction. Because you have union together with Christ. Maybe you enjoy going to the beach and your brother enjoys the mountains or the woods or, or, or whatever, but you're united in Christ. Maybe you like sports, but your brother or sister likes music. You're united in Christ. Maybe you have brown skin and your friend has yellow skin. Well, guess what? You are one in Christ. Walk in Savior. Walk in that union. Christ is not the lowest common denominator. He is the greatest common denominator. Do you understand that? That you don't take your union in Christ to be the, the smallest thing that you have in common. No, that should be what drives your life and that should be then what drives your fellowship. The challenge here for us is, do our lives produce greater fellowship? That means, are we walking in a holiness that produces a greater fellowship? And does our fellowship produce greater holiness? It should be, be something that builds on itself. You, you walk in holiness, you have deeper communion with your fellow saints. You have this deeper communion with your fellow saints, and it presses you more and more and more after Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to walk in the light. But then the, the climax of this really comes at the end of verse 7. We walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. 
It's only by Christ. You can't accomplish these things on your own. You can't walk in the light and somehow merit God's favor. You're washed. You're cleansed. You're made new. You're made alive through Christ. And then this is the overflow and the outworking of that transformation. It's not some higher level of spiritual knowledge as the Gnostics of John's day would say. It's that you're washed by the blood of the Lamb. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of your testimony, your testimony being that I belong to Christ. I am His and He is mine. I'm bought with the precious blood of Christ. The last thing I want you to see is those last two words. Verse 7, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's not some sin. It's not lesser sins. It's all sin. It's everything. Dear friends, you could be the vilest, most wicked, most sinful person to ever walk the face of the planet blood of Jesus, his son, can cleanse you from all sin. You must but come to him in repentance. You come to him in faith. You give your life to live for the sake and the glory of the Lord, to obey his commandments and to serve him as your king. And his blood washes you. It purges you. It cleanses you. And then, therefore, you are declared not guilty and you are counted as righteous. Matthew Henry said that his blood applied to us discharges us from the guilt of all sin, both original and actual, both inherent and committed. And so far we stand righteous in his sight. The blood of Jesus causes you to stand righteous in his sight. And dear friend, that should cause your soul to leap for joy. You may be weighed down by the trials and difficulties and sorrows of life, but you're washed in the blood of Christ. You may feel the guilt of years of sin, but you're washed in the blood of Christ. You may have a life of regret because you've not served the Lord as you should for all your years. But you're washed in the blood of Christ. You may fear what tomorrow brings. And tomorrow may not bring good news. But you're washed in the blood of Christ. You have hope. You have a Redeemer. Let's pull this together. The message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. We are proclaimers of the holiness of God and the transforming power and nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim that because we've pursued that holiness. Our lives have been transformed because we're new, because we're alive because we have this great hope and glory. And as we hope in the return of Christ, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. 
John's call to walk in the light is a sobering call when you consider that God is light. Dear friend, take heart because the blood of his, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light of, as those who are covered by the blood of Christ. You're cleansed by the blood of Christ. You're united with him, as we said at the outset, and you will and you must walk in the light as he himself is in the light. May we live as those who are united in Christ. May our union with Christ produce fellowship with one another. May our holy lives produce a deeper fellowship with those who are also in Christ. May we walk with him. May we proclaim the light and the glory and the good news of the gospel of Christ. May all of our lives be given for the sake of the glory of the Lord. We walk by the power of the Spirit as those who are new in Christ, for the glory of the Lord. With that, we'll come to the end. Um, we've got a, a longer announcement coming today with the ministry opportunity, so we're going to forego our, our closing song. But let me close us here with a word of prayer, and then we'll get to some of those announcements. So let's pray.